when I do get to wear it on my chest, I think I feel really, really proud. I, I feel even, even though I, I was born and raised in the U.S., mm-hmm. I get to represent that for my family. And yeah. I, rem- I remember telling my grandfather for like the very first time that I was, you know, representing because they're old. They can't necessarily travel to all of my meets. And even when I was back in Knoxville, a lot of my meets were out of state. Actually, like 90% of them were out of state except for state meet, which was in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Um, so they didn't come to very many of them. They only really came to the one that was in Knoxville. And my grandfather would always repeatedly tell me that he would come to the Olympics when I make it. Today with Asad Juma, a gymnast at the University of California, Berkeley. Yes, sir. A senior, just finished his final year. Unfortunately, was cut short due to COVID. I'm so sorry to hear about that. You were a gymnast originally, though, at the University of Illinois, Chicago. Yes, sir. And the program got cut there, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Wow. And then a first-generation Pakistani. So these are all the, all the areas we could go. But of course. I would love to start with, could you just give us a quick introduction into who you are and yeah. what you do? So, uh, again, my name is Asad Juma. I have been a gymnast my entire life. Um, and I guess in, in that sense, I've also been like an academic. Um, mm. Both all of my family is uh, all about academics and education and pursuing further education. And so those are where my two, my two lives kind of conjoined. And that's why I, I, I kind of picked Berkeley to come to after the program. Wow. Like, yeah. So how did you get into gymnastics? It's a good question. My sister, when I was little, she was a gymnast. And I think that's the main story that a lot of people like to tell is their older siblings and she did not like it and I would go in the gym and I'd run around and there was one day where I guess I came in and I climbed the rope and the owner of the gym told my mom that he would like me to be in gymnastics well my mom you know being oh just she just gone to the U.S. she just has two you know two kids and is confused you know why why is this why is this man asking my son to be a gymnast like that's yeah. a girl sport um and he was like, you know what, like gymnastics is, is something that's huge in our country and it'd be great for your son to do it. He looks like he would be, and, and you know, again, my mom was really confused, but she was like, you know what, like, let's try it. And so we tried it for a few months and I fell in love with it. And, and we really? tried a bunch of sports and this was the, the one that I kind of stuck with. Yeah. Why, why do you think you fell in love with gymnastics? I think when I got to a certain age, I, I had been doing it for so long that it was my life. Like I, I really? tried basketball, but again, I'm too short. Um, I tried soccer and I got too winded. Um, and, and I got, I actually did my, my black belt in karate, but I look back now and I, I think they may have exploited me and my other teammates, I guess, because to get our black belt, we had to clean the studio. And I look back now and I don't think that that was part of getting a black belt. Yeah. Um, so that's why I chose gymnastics was because it was, it was the one place that I, that I, I felt like I had an identity. I felt like really? I could be myself and just get away from everything else in the world. This, this was where I, this is, this is where I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Could you go deeper into that identity? Yeah. So, so gymnastics, again, like I had said, my, you know, my mom was confused about why, you know, he was asking a, like a little boy to be a gymnast because in Pakistan gymnastics is, or even in Southeast Asia in general, like gymnastics is not a big thing at all. It's just now becoming a thing. Um, I mean, I think the, the first, uh, Indian gymnast, uh, for the female gymnastics actually competed for the very first time in 2012. I could be wrong. It might've been, it might've been 2008, wow. but it was, it was very, very recent. And so again, in Southeast Asia, like gymnastics is not a very big thing. And so, um, for me, 
growing up in a very very white town in Knoxville, Tennessee, being a really? my, being a like a brown kid going to a Christian school my entire life. I think being different was part of my identity, and I think that's where I centered myself, and that's, that's where I found myself was being different and being being unique, and 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 embracing all of that because I had to because that was the only way that I I could. I I felt like I I could stand out, and I wanted to stand out because that's that's how my parents raised me. I, I wanted to be different, and gymnastics was the best avenue for me to do that. Mm, yeah. So, being a first generation American, for me. Because my mom's Russian too. So mm-hmm. like, you know, although I'm a white male and everyone looks the same as mm-hmm. me, I did have a sense of like, when I was at home, I, I didn't feel that Russian. Mm-hmm. And then when I was at school, I didn't feel that American. I totally understand that. Like really? 100%. And like, I don't know, for me, sport fit the role of like, like when you said it gave you an identity. For yeah. me, I was like, oh, I'm an athlete. I didn't have that before. Yeah, yeah. Really? So it was similar for you? I think I think that's exactly where I, I think I was trying to go. Yeah. And, and you phrased it perfectly. I, it, it, you didn't, I didn't really have an identity at school, nor did I have an identity at home because it was two completely different ones really? in a single day. And, and, and gym, I didn't have to attach a, a, a name to either one of those. I could just be myself and being wow. an athlete. You're right. That's, exa- that's honestly exactly what I was, I think, trying to say. Yeah. How was the world at home different from the world at school? I mean... Again, growing up in Knoxville, Tennessee, a very a very predominant Caucasian town, uh-huh. um, and going to a Christian school as a Muslim, uh, like I was born wow. and raised as a Muslim, um, my 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 role at home was was learning Urdu and learning um, and and following the customs that that were not apparent at my school, mm. um, following different traditions and and dressing different, talking different. Um, and, and fighting with my parents on why, why am I doing this stuff? Why am I, you know, and I'd go to school and I'd see all these kids doing. And so that was, that was the biggest difference. Yeah. The culture at yeah. home, you know, as a first generation American, mm-hmm. right? At home, it's, it's Pakistani. Yeah. And that's, that's the world that you're in at home. Exactly. And then at school, it's, especially in the South, I can imagine even more, yeah. you know, it's, peanut butter jelly sandwiches spongebob (laughs) yeah exactly things that are just like normal to americans are not normal to immigrants exactly yeah like i was i don't know i'm sure you could relate to this Mm. i don't know clue what the meals are what shows you're watching but like for me it was like katlete and russian cartoons no exactly and so i grew up (laughs) watching like like was it VTV? No, ZTV. That's what it was. That's like it's like it was on Roku. I don't know if you know like the Roku TVs, but that was the way to get all of the um, I guess South Asian South Asian channels. Yeah, and that's all I'd see at home, or I'd or I'd hear like prayers being you know really? on on the the stereo at home. Like that's what I hear the second I woke up in the morning before I went to bed, um, and then I go to school and you know no one would know what I was talking about, and mm-hmm. it was it was just yeah. I guess I'd I'd have to have two different identities. Yeah. Wow. So then sport came in mm-hmm. and it gives you that sense of belonging. Exactly. The sense of embracing yourself and who you want to be. It was more of like, it was freedom. I'd, really? I didn't have to be anyone. I didn't mm. have to, to try to conform to what uh, the school was trying to make me conform to, nor did I have to embrace my culture in, in a whole new setting. You know, this, th- like I just, gym was just my, my escape from everything. It was, it was the place I could go to to get away from anything and everything that I that I felt in the real world you know mm. yeah how has gymnastics shaped your relationship with fear because to be able to like try these things 
I think a lot of people would be afraid to try because they'd be afraid of failing. Mm-hmm. And so I, I wonder if there's like early on, you developed a very specific framework with fear where you were just like, now nah, we're going to try it anyways. So my, my home gym, I, I had a lot of guys above me and below me that dealt with fear, that dealt with anxiety, that dealt with all these different things that, um, that prohibited them from pursuing the sport any further. And then I also saw guys that excelled and that got past those little speed bumps and that were able to, even if they were scared, I could see the fear on their face. I could tell when they were scared. Cause you know, you know, when you can see that, that, um, that, that sense of, of dread, you know, when, when someone's trying something new or doing something for the first time and seeing someone do that, even though they have those feelings and then seeing their face afterwards, that sense of accomplishment, even, even if they don't make it, but just being able to say that you did it is, is, how I learned to get past my fear because I got to see those guys do it. And I got Mm. to see all these different people try new things. And again, even if they didn't make it, they were still proud of themselves for, for being able to, to step up and do that. And, and I learned that I had to do the same thing. And in, in doing so, I was able to conquer my fear and not just Jim, but I think in a lot of other ways, um, especially when it comes, when it came to school and home, I think I was able to conquer the fear of telling my parents that, um, Honestly, that I wanted to date someone out of the religion for the first time. I was able to conquer the fear of, of really? telling, yeah, telling my friends in a Christian school that I, um, that I was a Muslim and I was proud to be a Muslim in, you know, in a, in a Catholic school. I think that, that sounds, it sounds minimal, yeah. but, but those are fearful things that, that, that people like me and you who don't, who aren't born, born or raised in the U.S., who come from different backgrounds, kind of have to deal with. Um, so gymnastics in that sense, it did, it did help. It really, really helped, um get over that 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 sense of fear in a lot of different aspects not just wow yeah would you be willing to go into what it was like conquering the fear of telling your parents that you were dating someone outside the religion of course i can uh that was hard because that's (laughs) like that's i mean that's like real yeah you know no it is sports cool and all Uh but like that's some real like that's a really difficult thing to do Mm -hmm. especially first generation americans yeah so for for me it was less of a because my, my sister had actually been dating someone within the religion. He was he was a friend of mine, and he was just a mm-hmm. little bit older than me. And knowing that she had been with someone, and my my mom, my dad, I, I don't actually know if he knew about it at the time. Um, if you're listening, Dad, sorry. And uh, I just I knew that they were okay with me having a significant other. But going again, going to a Catholic school, I wasn't surrounded by any other Muslims, mm-hmm. and there weren't there weren't many in my vicinity, in my area, in, in the place I live. So the only people I really could, you know, fall um, for was a, a, a non-Muslim. And once I found someone that I wanted to be with, I, I just straight up told my mom, I was like, I want to be with this person. And I, I would love it if you were okay with it. And for the first little bit, I could, I, I could tell that she was not okay with it. Um, this is actually after my parents got divorced. I was actually living with my mom at the time. And she had just gotten married to um, my stepdad. And he... I would, I would say he actually helped a lot when it came to convincing my mother of letting me be with this person um, wow. because he had been a little bit more modernized. He had been in the States for a long time. And I think with his help and, and just, um, I think the sheer getting over the fear of telling her, I think even just by doing that, that showed my mom that I, that I wanted, that I wanted it, you know, that I, mm-hmm. that this is what I wanted to do. And I think by showing her that that's all she needed. Wow. Yeah. When did your parents get divorced? 
when I was 11 or 12. 11. Yeah. My, I was like, I was like five. Wow. When okay. I got divorced. Yeah. Um, do you want to go into that? I can. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was, it was hard at first. Uh, there, yeah. there were a lot of challenges. I'm sure that, you know, you know as well. And what was it like at that age? So where were you at in life at that age? Cause for me, I was too young to even know. Yeah. Like I was like, okay, this is life. Mm-hmm. It's just, I never even knew what it was like before. So for me, I was, I want to say like, yeah, like 11, 12, 13 in that area. I was going yeah. from like middle school to high school. I just transitioned wow, okay. into that, that stage. Um, and it was, it was difficult because I could, I could see what was happening in the household and I could, I could see that, that, that happening. And mm-hmm. when it really did, it was terrifying. Um, and it was a battle between, you know, who did I want to be with my mom or my dad, even though I was living with my mom. Wow. Um, and, and again, my mom did everything she possibly could to provide for us but you know as a little boy you want your dad you know you want that that male figure in your life and I think dealing with that was was hard but I think I found again I found my my escape with gymnastics wow. um, and I, that's the the that it all it all kind of circles back to the sport mm-hmm. um, so I know the program got cut mm-hmm. unfortunately yeah how did you find out first <laughs> um it's funny, uh, junior year. Uh, it's like the wor- an athlete's yeah. nightmare. And what happened was it was the first week of school. Sorry, I just want to give you a little backstory yeah. on, on where the school was with gymnastics before we found out. Our school was doing great. We had just hosted literally the biggest event wow. in NCAA men's gymnastics yeah. on our campus. So it's your sophomore year. You make it to NCAAs. You compete. Mm-hmm. University president, chancellor, everyone's there. Mm-hmm. And... Then following that, you compete internationally, yep. represent Pakistan. Mm-hmm. And this was two weeks prior to them telling us. We, so we go through the first week of school. Monday morning, second week of school, freshmen had just gotten here. Again, second week wow. of school. And we get an email from our AD. We got an email from our compliance office to both the men's and the women's team. And so there was a little bit of a, a, little bit of a drama with Beanbag over the summer. Um and we thought it had to do with that. I know it sounds like nothing, but it yeah. was a little bit of drama uh, with the men's and women's team. And we thought the the women's coaches had, like, we thought something had, you know, happened. And so they were just going to talk yeah. to us. Um, you you were, like, in, in trouble for Yeah, kind of. We thought their happened. team had just gotten into some type yeah. of... And we sit down, and this is, you know, like if in HPC, that little study area with all the windows? Yeah. We had an area just like that, except it was actually in the basement of our HPC. Okay. And it was with all the desks and everything, and we're there. It's 8 a.m. We don't get an excuse for, like, half of us have class right now. Um, and we, they they were like, if you have class, miss it. Like that's lit. I can, I can, I might actually be able to pull up the email, but literally in the email, it was like, it does like, this is a mandatory meeting. Wow. You have to be here at eight. We got the email the night before it was at like, I want to say it was at like, like 12 or 1am. Wow. Um, so and, two weeks, so two weeks after competing mm-hmm. at Indonesia, mm-hmm. representing your country, Pakistan, and yeah. after the school hosts the national championship, mm-hmm. you get an email the first week of school basically the, the, right after the first week of school right like after the, the first week of school you get an email mm-hmm. at night saying 8 a.m tomorrow be there don't care if you got class yes like, like so specifically you, it said we don't care if you have class this is mandatory miss it so you sit down and what is what does the ad say oh well we so we sat down and we see the women's coach like the women's coaches and they were they were like i was close to them and they were bawling and they my were coach, just already they were crying just already bawling. And oh my my, my head coach, he was I can't there, even imagine. And he just his face was just pale. And all of us are really confused because they're not talking to us because we don't know what yeah. you know, happened was. They told them 30 minutes before they told us. They brought them in at 730 in the morning and they said, hey, we're going to cut your programs. So bring in your bring in your athletes. We're going to tell them right now as well. That's what they did. 
they were very meticulous when they used their words. Sorry, they were very, very meticulous. They never once used funding. They never once used finance or even the word money. They, they repeated, we want to allocate or, and I remember this and I will never resources. ever forget it. They want to allocate their resources to other places to enhance the D1 program, D1 programs the school has to offer. That, and I, I, literally, I will never forget that sentence, ever. Because that was ingrained into me because I, I, I you can ask anyone in that meeting how I, I yelled at our AD. I yelled at our, our assistant AD. I yelled at everyone in that room in front of the coaches and no one stopped me. No one stopped me. Our coaches didn't stop me. Mm-hmm. No one, no one did because I was pissed beyond, beyond anything else. And, and they had, they had no right to cut our, uh, cut our program. I mean, our women's team literally the year after they got cut, they broke every school record, every single one. They won their conference championships. Um, Sorry, it makes me really, really upset when I think when I when I go. I trust me. I had so many meetings with Garrett. Garrett, so he so our AD. So when he told me, I, um, I I was mad. I was furious. I was. I think I was upset. I was more. I think I was more upset for the freshman that just got there. I had gotten two years. You know, mm-hmm. I had gotten to compete at the highest level I ever could. I got to compete in NCAA's, so I got to compete at the highest level I could in the U.S. And then I also got to just go to my first international competition. I was I was set. You know, if I had ended my career right there. I, not that I would have been happy, but I would have been content because mm-hmm. I got to. But those freshmen that just got there, that committed to a school for four years, were told a week, literally a week and one day after they got there, that they couldn't, that they couldn't, wow. that they couldn't compete, that that their scholarships were gone, that everything was done, and that within a year they, they were going to be no longer part of the athletic program. Um, and so it wasn't even fear. It wasn't even anger towards like him, like for myself again, because I was content with what I had already done. It was anger t- for these guys. Like, how can you, how can you do that? Like, I'm sorry, but like, how do you do that? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was how I felt. So right now with COVID, mm-hmm. a lot of programs are being cut. Yeah. Like a lot. Mm-hmm. Could you shed light to athletes maybe who are unsure of whether or not the program is going to be cut or, to, or just fans, mm-hmm. you know, who are seeing these programs get cut? Yeah. What's that reality of your program being cut like what's the reality of that situation the reality is it sucks and there, yeah. there's no other way around it it just sucks um and and it's you're you're gonna go through the i think what is it five stages of grief seven stages of grief um because i mean it does grief. feel like something died yeah really and um and, but it gets better uh, even for me when i found out i mean i was devastated i i i didn't i, I remember literally not eating for like a week i couldn't i, I barely went to class either um, really? I, I remember talking on the phone with every single one of the parents to reassure them that we were going to do everything we could to make sure that their their kids, these were mo- most of the freshmen and the sophomores, because I was a junior at the time and we only had one senior. So I talked, I remember talking, yeah, just telling, mm. you know, reassuring their parents and reassuring them that everything was going to be okay, that we were going to figure it out. And I had no intention of leaving. Even within the first two months of after we found out, I had no intention of leaving. Really? Um, and then my roommate, he actually, he, you know, sat me down one day and he was, we actually were walking back to the house and he was like, hey, I got in. And I was like, what do you mean you got in? And he's like, I got into U of I. And I was like, oh, that's amazing. Like, congrats. I'm really, really happy for you. And he's like, yeah, I think I'm going to go. And I was like, that's awesome. When do you start? And he's like, I think I'm going to go in January. And I was like, oh, sh-. you're going to go in January. Like, you're leaving in like two months. Like, like, because again, this was like September, October-ish. Yeah. Um, so around that time is when I had already started reaching out as well, because I realized that I, I think I had to. Um, as a junior, if I wanted to continue my um, collegiate career at that time, I'd have to leave immediately, and that's why he was leaving so fast. Wow. Um, sorry, you, you. The question was not that. The question was, how do I tell the? You know, um, again, uh, there there is nothing other than, it, again, it, it sucks, but it will get better. 
And if you if you really love the sport that you're doing, if you love if you love athletics in general, um, you will find a way to keep doing it. Mm. And, and just like me, just like everyone else that 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 had to go through their, their program being cut. Um, so that's what I'd say is is don't give up hope because the, you're not the only one that loves your sport, and because you're not the only one, it will find a way to survive. So. How challenging was it when you got here as a transfer student, specifically as a transfer athlete also? So my, um, I, made a, I made a wrong decision when I got here to take 19 credits while being a um, research assistant. <laughs> really? While competing at a brand new university. Um, at the number one public university in the world. Yes, sir. I had so many resources and so many people. Um, I, I, I remember like... My within my first week here, the entire guys team, at least at least five or six of them reached out to me and was like, hey, you want to hang out here? You want to hang out here? You want to hang out here? And even even on the girls wow. team, um, specifically Malia Pearson, um, like literally like she like she reached out to me like immediately. And it was really, really cool. And even though we didn't have like an immediate friendship, I was able to, to form those bonds with with people on the team almost immediately within the first within the first few weeks. And it, it felt like I was part of the family as, as soon as I got here. And, wow. And so it wasn't it it really wasn't that hard. It was it was scary and it was difficult leaving my other team, but it was challenging in a fun, new, exciting way when I got here. So we go through your first year mm-hmm. and then COVID comes in and ends the season yeah. again. Can you walk me through what that experience was like? Not again. Really? That was my that was PTSD. It wasn't even me. Like it's funny. It wasn't even me who said that. I remember texting one of my one of my old roommates who's actually he's the guy that at U of I. I texted him and I asked him how he was holding up. And his his first response was, "It feels like deja vu. It it, it why is this happening again to us? Yeah, you know, like like why? And we you know we talked about it for a little bit. And yes, it sucks. And the reality of it is, it's over. And there's nothing we can do about it. And I. I had finally been doing the the skill that I'd wanted to. I I had been raising myself up the ranks. Um, uh, uh, gymnastics, because again, it's such a small knit community when it comes to collegiate gymnastics. There's actually a, there's a website that actually tracks um, the rankings for everyone. Mm-hmm. And I, I you know every, after every meet, I would go and check my rankings, and I had been slowly moving up, um, so almost into the top ten. And um, and the top eight is what all Americans. And. I just, I knew that if I just did that, if I just been doing what I had done all season, I could get there and I could finish off my time as a, as an all American athlete for Cal. And then I'd finish off and I'd go to the Olympics. That was my goal. That was my, and then I'd finish off my career and I'd be done with gymnastics. That was, and so having that taken from me, um, was bittersweet. It was, it was shit. (laughs) Um, it was not fun, but in, Sorry, continue. In the last episode I recorded, mm-hmm. we talked a lot about this concept of redemption mm-hmm. and like how much, you know, when you fail or fall short, you spend every day of your life for the next year preparing for that next moment, that next shot at yeah. redemption. Yeah. And I hear that so much in, in your story and what you're saying. Yeah. And it makes me feel for you that much harder because... You obviously don't deserve it. And then the Olympics also was a real, real goal mm-hmm. for you this year, which is incredible. Thank you. So are you still trying to get to the Olympics next year? Is that the goal? You're going to keep training for another year? I would love to. And that's still my intention and my goal. But I don't know if 
that's still a realistic possibility anymore. So can you walk me through what goes into a decision like that? Mm -hmm. So my, my route to the Olympics is different than almost anyone else that is going to the Olympics. Most people, they qualify with their, they qualify individually from uh, representing their country at an international event. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's the way that 99% of the people that qualify to the Olympics, there's a second route, um, or actually a third route. The other one's the team route, which, um, you know, if a team qualifies, then they can pick you to be on their team. The third one is actually something called the wild card. And so the wild card is, is given to underrepresented countries and there's only about i want to say like 30 countries on that list pakistan happens to be one of them and the wild card is only given to one male and one female athlete per country uh, enveloping like all the sports wow Um, and on top of that even if it's given to you it's not guaranteed that you'll go because then the olympic committee has to choose one male and one female from all of those countries combined to represent so you would have been the sole male mm-hmm. so athlete mm-hmm. rep- you are, you I are mm-hmm. yeah you're over that's already like said to say yeah they've they've already they've already given my nomination like i i am the yeah i am the wild card for pakistan thank you Yo, <laughs> yes sir thank you i got confirmation wow. that a few months ago that and is incredible thank you i appreciate that and i was supposed to get the the response um at the end of it was like the last week of april and i'd known that the last week of april was when i was going to get like whether i was going or not for almost a year. I've known that that is when they were going to tell me if I was going to go or not. So I had been waiting for April and then March hit and COVID-19 hit and all this stuff happened. And, um, you know, my coach JT reached out to me and he was like, Hey, you know, we don't know what's going on. Do you still want to train? And luckily for me, I have the best support system I could have asked for. Um, the, the coaches here have been fantastic. The, um, the academic staff has been fantastic, you know, trying to make sure that I've been able to do everything um, and to ensure that I would be able to go to the Olympics this year. I mean, I competed at two international um, events on top of season this year. Uh, really? The, yeah, the one weekend that we did get off, I actually traveled to Australia. Um, and I competed at, uh, yeah, we, cause we competed, I think basically every weekend from Quick little ride over the pond. <laughs> actually. Yeah. We were gone for about nine days. I took my assistant coach and that was the one weekend that we had off. And then I came back and we competed at our senior meet the, the following weekend. Um, wow. And so the student athlete grind does not stop for Mr. <laughs> Olympian. Okay. Um, uh, that's crazy. Walk me through what it's like to wear your country's colors on you. It's the best feeling you've ever felt in your entire life. There's literally nothing that does like, that compares. Like, what goes through your mind? Like, are you thinking about your family, your mom? Like, The first time, it felt surreal. I was like, every time, it feels surreal. It doesn't ever feel normal. Um, and maybe for the guys that have been competing or the girls that have been competing for, you know, like 10 years, where they've been going, like, they, because I, even while I was there, I remember, like, pointing out to all of the different Olympians that were training right next to me i mean there's one guy from spain um zapata he he has one of the biggest skills on floor named after him and i'm not even my first warm-up session he was sitting two feet away from me and i was shaking because i was like that's like i'm like i'm looking at my coach like brian from across i'm like that's him right there and then it's like lining up against kobe bryant or michael jordan literally like that is how i felt and then on top like then just a a plethora of all these gymnasts who I follow on Instagram, who I've been following, who I've idolized since I was a little kid. Yeah. Walk in. And I, I'm just, I was stunned. I'm like a little star, you know, a little starstruck because yeah. first of all, I didn't feel like I belong there because all these guys have, have been competing for so long and their names are out there. They're all verified on Instagram. You know, they're all like amazing athletes. And mm-hmm. I'm like, wow, this is, you know, this is incredible. 
And and my coach just, you know, he put his hand on my shoulder and he was just like, he's like, you know what? You're here. You you belong here. Like, you don't forget that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's when like my, my I like, I started to feel a sense of like, real, you know, calm and, and, and relax. Rela- I don't know what the word I'm looking for. A, a sense of peace, more yeah. or less. Um, and so when I do get to wear it on my chest, I think I feel really, really proud. I, I feel even, even though I, I was born and raised in the U.S., mm-hmm. I get to represent that for my family. And yeah. I, rem- I remember telling my grandfather for like the very first time that I was, you know, representing because they're old. They can't necessarily travel to all of my meets. And even when I was back in Knoxville, a lot of my meets were out of state. Actually, like 90% of them were out of state except for state meet, which was in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Um, so they didn't come to very many of them. They only really came to the one that was in Knoxville. And my grandfather would always repeatedly tell me that he would come to the Olympics when I make it. That was what he had told me since I was little. He's, he's like, when wow. you go to the Olympics, I'll go. That's when I'll come. And so, like, since I was little, like, of course, like, as a little kid, I want my grandfather to be there. Yeah. I want, the, you know, that one, like, my head of the household, I want him to come. And I think that was, like, my drive. And so being able to do that, not just once, twice, or, like, and, and, and now three times. And even if that is, even if that was my final time, I, I got to do that. And it wasn't just for me, it was for them. You have such an incredible story because yeah. it's, getting your program cut is the most horrifying nightmare of any athlete. And then to bounce back from that, and not give up on your sport, to not give up on your school, to end up at Cal and compete and continue competing internationally is so incredible. And then now for COVID to steal your shot at redemption, that mm-hmm. opportunity that you had is no longer have it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's this is such a moment of like great adversity right now but you just have so much positivity you have to and it's so inspiring in that sense thank you and i guess i'm wondering like when you reflect back on your story how does it feel or what is maybe a better question actually than how does it feel is like what are your last words i I think the better question was how do i feel to be honest and i feel a sense of pride i really do that's the best way that i can describe like my entire time as an athlete not just not just in college but but all of it Mm -hmm. because it i i also when i when i when i call my mom back home there are little kids in my small muslim community in tennessee that are going to my not even going to my jo gym but other gyms nearby and they're starting in there one of them actually reached out to me recently because he's applying to colleges and he's like hey which school should i like reach out to me sent me a bunch of videos so for me it's a sense of pride because even if even if i didn't get to my goal and and my redemption stage i paved the way for other little kids that look like me to be able to do the same thing Wow, and and so that's that that was my that's incredible. So for for me, it doesn't really matter that I didn't get a chance to do that. Yeah, it, it matters that when I get old, I can I can put my kids in it and I get to see them thrive. But on top of that, I get to grow up watching other kids follow in my footsteps and and do the things that I wasn't able to do. And I think being able to see them, I'm gonna live vicariously through that. Wow, so, yeah, that's a phenomenal note to end it. <laughs> Thank Saad, you. thank you so much. Of course, man. thank you. Wow.